You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. We are going to read a few, more than a few texts today. And uh, as always, I think each word in every one of these is vitally important. So I'm going to read three texts, and then Sheena is going to read the gospel for today. So the first one is coming to us from Genesis chapter 25. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus... Why is this happening to me? And maybe more importantly, in the original manuscript, it says, if it is thus, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Based on my story, I'm glad my parents didn't call me E.T. because they said I looked like E.T. So I'm glad this naming process was done by the time 1982 rolled around. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so he called him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his food, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That is a very significant verse. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use? Everybody say use. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright couple verses from Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return again there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout. Everybody say making it. Giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Few verses from Romans chapter 8. I'm expecting everybody to memorize all the verses that we're reading and be able to repeat them back if I call on you at any point. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hopefully, flesh means something different than skin. Otherwise, we're in trouble because no one in skin can please God. I don't think that's what flesh means, but we'll talk about that in a second. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Would you all please stand for today's gospel reading? A reading from the, excuse me, a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 9 and 18 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. The word of the Lord. You may be seated this morning. So jumping right in. Someone recently in the last month or so called me and asked me a question and said, Pastor Bill, you've been saying often that you don't think it's good for us to be extreme, that we, should we be, you know, we shouldn't be choosing something way on the left or way on the right or way up or way down. Extremes are, are difficult. Extremes are where things go wrong. And I was like, yes, yes. Someone wise did say that, me. I agree with that. That's a good thing. And she said, okay, here's the problem. God only gave us two choices in the garden. There is no choice in the middle. Is this tree or that tree? isn't that extreme, one or the other. And I had to, I remember, I had to sit back and say, okay, so I pray that God would anoint the church to think through the text, and now here's somebody really reading it well, and I'm like, hold on one second, give me a second. (laughs) And very quickly, it dawns on me. The first tree that we shouldn't eat from is the tree of what? The knowledge of So the first tree is a tree of extremes, good or evil, right or wrong, yes or no, up or down, left or right. The first tree is the tree that gives us the knowledge that once that knowledge has germinated, we see life through only one of two extremes. It's either on or it's off. It's either black or it's white. It's either good or it's bad. It's either healthy or unhealthy, and that tree is something that God has said, I don't want you operating in between those two extremes. I don't want you operating on either of those poles because life is so much more beautiful, so much more complex, so much more nuanced that reducing an event, a situation, a worldview, a doctrine, a way that you're viewing yourself, reducing something you're, you're, that's going on in your life, say losing a job, to reduce losing a job to either this is bad or this is good is where the beginning of a lack of emotional health comes from. 
When we are forced to say, I lost my job, but this is going to be good. This is going to be great. God's doing something. I know he is. That sounds good for 15 minutes until all your friends go to work on Monday. You're three weeks in wondering, who am I? What's going on? And I got about two more bills I could pay before it gets scary. Good or bad leaves no room for emotional processing. It leaves no room for nuance. It leaves no room for the story of your life to bear witness to what is happening. There are jobs that have shifted for me in the past. There are jobs that, that did weird things as I was working them, having me work night shifts and being in positions that I didn't, not only did I not, what I, I was bad at them, I didn't enjoy them. And when I look at the story of my life and where it is heading and where it's going, a lot of those things make a lot more sense now than they did in the moment. And looking at it back then as either good or bad would have made, taught me to deny what I'm feeling, deny what's going on in me, and, and settle for this extreme. So it's not Jesus giving us, God giving us two trees, one or the other. It's not two, those two trees are not two poles. The first tree is two poles, good or bad. The second tree is life. Life, you ready? is everything that exists in between the knowledge of good and evil. Life is everything that exists, as we all know this cliche, but life is everything that exists between two dates on a gravestone. Life is everything that happens in between yes and no, left or right, up or down. Life is everything that happens. Life is everything else. It's messy, it's contradictory, it's paradoxical. David says to God, tell me if I can defeat the Philistines, and God says, go, and you'll, by the time you get there, they'll be fighting themselves. Next battle, David says, should we go? And God says, no, I want you to wait by the cherry trees, and when you hear them rustling in the wind, then you can go. It's like, but this last time you told me just to go, and it worked out really well. Well, this time isn't last time, David. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says every time is the same. If it worked once, it'll keep working. If it didn't work once, it'll never work again. That's emotionally unhealthy. Something that blew up in your face last week probably blew up because the time wasn't right. The activity might have been just fine. You ever have something right to say? Say it at the wrong time? The person didn't think it was the right thing to say. Apples of gold in what? Settings of silver. Sometimes we're just throwing apples of gold out there, but it's not settings of silver. Well, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, look, it was either right or wrong. They can deal with it. That's not true. Life is not an extreme. It exists in between the two poles. It's messy and it's nuanced. One of the biggest temptations of the church is to reduce every issue we're having to this immediate name, to give it a name, to give it a meaning, to instantaneously say, I know why I'm going through this. It's not that I'm struggling with depression. It's that God's giving me a word for somebody I don't know. It might be, or it might be that you're struggling with depression, or more likely, it's you struggling with depression and God not wasting your depression, but talking to you through it. How about that option? Oh, I lost my job because God's getting me ready to bless somebody else. You lost your job maybe because you're not good at it. You lost your job maybe because your boss is corrupt. You lost your job because we're in a competitive environment that cares more about money than souls and people. But here's the point. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil will deceive you. The tree of life says it doesn't matter why. What matters is Jesus is in it regardless of the reason, and he's going to make meaning happen in it for you. So God doesn't make bad things happen so that he could accomplish his purposes because if God needed to make evil happen so that his purposes could be furthered, then evil wouldn't be evil. It'd be good. God doesn't make evil happen. God happens in evil things that happen and converts what happens when evil things happen. 
Romans 5, 1 through 11, suffering produces patience. Suffering shouldn't produce anything. It should take. Suffering should take from you. But when Jesus, when, you ready? When suffering has to suffer Jesus, suffering gets saved. And when suffering gets saved, it no longer takes from you, it gives. Not because God's using it, but because he's happening to it. So the tree of life is so much more complicated. What, what I just said is years of philosophy talking. It's complicated. And we don't want complicated. We want right or wrong, left or right, up or down, black or white. Make it simple, please. He tells us not to eat from that tree. So watch what happens. Jacob, <laughs> yes, okay. So Isaac is married, and his wife is barren, and he prays. And when you read the text carefully, God doesn't answer his prayer for 20 years. He was 40 when he got married, and he was 60 when they had the babies. He prayed for 40 he prayed for 20 years. If you just started praying for something recently, do you have the stamina? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil is like, yes, I do, or no, I don't. No. Some days you will, and some days you won't, and that's why you have all of us here too, because on the days when you don't, we do. That's why we're together. That's why we're here. When you're an island, you will never have what it takes to make it all the way to an answered prayer. But when you're part of the church and you have life happening in your home in the body of Christ, when you're off, we're on. And when we're on, you're off. And we can work together that way. They finally get pregnant. Everything's going to be good, right? He answered their prayer. A little while into the pregnancy, Rebecca's like, honestly, whatever is happening in here, I'd rather die. These kids are already a pain. Something's happening in me. And she says, why should I even live? Remember that sentence. Why should I even live? So look at this. They pray for 20 years. She gets pregnant and right away is like, this is useless. Immediately assigns it a value. God says, two nations are in your womb. This is so important, Salem. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples, not people, peoples, nations are in your womb. Your struggle is so much bigger than the years you will be alive on this earth. Well, what do we want to do? We want to reduce our struggle to something that's either going to benefit or not benefit us. And God is saying, your struggle has to do with thousands of years and many genealogies from now. This is the difference between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit, I'll talk about this in detail in a second, is not about skin versus the ethereal. It's about a mind that has no imagination for life beyond itself. Everything we're doing in this church right now is as much for our tomorrow as it is for our 70 years from now. The struggle you're facing in your life is not just about you today or tomorrow. It's about 10 generations from now. It's not just a struggle about you and your life and the few little hand breaths of life we'll have here on this earth. It is about so much more to nations are in your room. We think, oh, you know what? I'm looking at what's going on with my kids. I'm looking at what's going on. It's over. The things I want are over. We won't know whether or not things are right or wrong until millions of years from now when Jesus sits in judgment and says, I've made all things new and they'll be made right. It doesn't excite us because I didn't get up here and say, if you give me $25 for miracle water, you'll be better tomorrow. The only things we clap about are things that we know that will, are within reach of our benefit. I'm telling you right now, your struggle today has to do with kids 10 generations from now that you will never meet, but when you're part of the cloud of witnesses, you'll see the results of your struggle. We got to learn to get excited about things 
that we can't market. We got to learn to get excited about things that we won't be here for. I'll make it so you won't be there for lunch if you don't amen today. <laughs> Sophie was like, amen. <laughs> Trying to get me down off the pulpit, my daughter. All right. So they have the babies. Now, keep in mind, 20 years you've been praying. You don't think you thought of a name by now? Look at, look at, who Isaac, look at Isaac's parents. Abram and Sarai. Is that how their names ended up? Abraham and so he knows that names are vital to God that they're so vital that God changed the names of his parents so after 20 years of praying and a whole story about how God changed his parents names that one's red we'll call him Esau that one has his hand on a heel we'll call him Jacob Seems about right. It's like, dude, 20 years you prayed. You guys talked about this. You don't have a sense. You don't have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It gets us to name things based on what they're doing now. You think your life is as valuable as the last good or bad thing that happened in it. How about this one, since everybody's making me work? on the anniversary of our church, you ever wake up on a Friday and say, man, it's Friday? You know that Friday feeling when the weekend looks like it's going to be good? You go to work a little happy, maybe you look good, maybe you dressed a little better than you wanted to because you feel good. Get to work at 9, assuming you got there on time, not like here, assuming you got to work on time. First coworker, first comment from the boss, you don't like it, what's the first thing we say? My whole weekend is ruined. Everything is off. It's the worst day. Because we name things immediately. The next thing that happens, we name our week after it. We name our month after it. Sometimes we name our life after it. Sometimes we name the next 10 minutes after it. But we just look at what's happening and we name it. That's emotionally unhealthy. God will change Jacob's name to, to, he'll change his name to Israel. Notice Esau's name already changed. It was Esau and then it's Edom. Already, within a few years, it's already ambiguous, his name. We name things too fast. When things happen in your life, Sit back. This is going to blow your mind. You ready? When things happen in your life, sit back. I'll take it easy on you for three days before you name what it is. When Bishop Q told me to wait three days before I responded to an email, I'm like, bro, you might as well have told me to jump off a building. Three days before I respond? Before I could say anything? He said, well, I wanted you to wait three months, but we're starting with three days because I can tell I'm like, okay. We name things right away. Immediately. Isaac likes Esau. Why? Transactions. Isaac likes Esau because he ate of his game and it was good. I love Esau. Now, we praise Rebecca, I think wrongly. Because But she loved Jacob. And the teachings I heard were something like, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his food. But Rebecca loved Jacob because of who he was. That might be true, but notice what skips past our face. Here's what it, sh if we want to praise either one of the parents, here's what it should have said. I, J who, who am I talking about? Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob and Esau. That's what it should have said. Mom and dad, should we have favorites? We do, but should we? <laughs> There you go. She picked the one who wasn't getting love and went all in on him. Do you see what's happening here? They're making instantaneous decisions, and now their family's divided. It fast forwards to the boys, and now they're divided. 
What does Esau say when he comes in from the field? I'm so hungry, I need to eat. Give me your birthright. And what does he say? He's, I'm dying, so what use is my birthright? Why is that sentence important? Because it's what Rebecca said when she was pregnant. If this is happening in me, why should I live? Immediately making a decision. Her son, immediately, I'm dying anyway, what's the point of my birthright? Instantaneous thought. He says, what use is my birthright? We think the things of God are there for us to be used. They're there for us to stand in awe at. You don't use the cross. You don't use tongues. You don't use the gifts of the Spirit. We say things wrong all the time. I just want to be used by God. Have you ever been used by somebody before? Did it feel good? God doesn't use people. He involves you in his life. But you're not used afterwards. You're not like a pair of sneakers that don't have grip anymore. You're more of yourself after God involves you in his life, not less of yourself. What is Jacob? I'm going to get these names wrong. Don't judge me. I'm trying. Jacob, he does what his father Isaac did. He makes a transaction. Isaac loves Esau because he ate of his food. Transaction. Ka-ching. Here's your change. You give me food, I'll give you love. Jacob does what his father does. All right, I'll give you food if you give me your birthright. They're acting like their parents. And then the story ends there. There's division. And this is why Paul is saying walk by the spirit and not the flesh. Because walking after the flesh is when we make decisions based on our limited view of a thing and not by the spirit. Like We name things because of what's happening in the moment. God names things because of what he knows will be true of them when they're fully completed. That's why it says that in heaven he's going to give us what? A new name. That no one now can utter. Why? Because you're not done yet. You don't know that name because that name has everything to do with your finished reality, not your current one. We name things based on what we see. He names things based on what he knows he's creating and redeeming in you. So, the law of sin and the spirit. Let's just look at this real fast. The law of sin. Now, I need, I need you to know this. When the Bible talks negatively about the flesh, here's more of what we're going to talk about in terms of emotional health. When the Bible talks about the flesh, it's not denigrating your body. It's rebuking a worldview. When the Bible talks negatively about the flesh, it's using the word flesh as a metaphor for a worldview that has gone wrong. It is not a direct statement about how God values the current body you're inhabiting right now. We have an altar call right now. You have to leave here knowing that the skin you inhabit is beautiful before God. It's not something he looks at and wishes was different. That's not what it's talking about when it says flesh and blood. It's not a literal statement about your biological makeup. It is about your old view. Here's proof from scripture so everybody can settle down about it. When Peter says to Jesus, you are the son of God, he says the spirit has revealed this to you. When he says, but don't go to Jerusalem and die, Jesus says, this is Satan talking because you're setting your mind on the things of man. So the flesh is not anything that has to do with your skin, your body, your weight, your body type, what you see when you look in the mirror. All of that is so good to God that he put it on. He wore it for you. So that you would know that whatever he puts on, whatever he touches, is what he's calling beautiful. If the flesh was disgusting to him, he would have shown up as an angel, not a human. You have to know this. You don't need to talk negatively about yourself for fear that you might get arrogant. You're beautiful and fearfully and wonderfully made, not so that he could say, now start to talk, don't love your flesh, don't like the way you look, that's vanity, that's this. No, that's Satan trying to get you to hate yourself so much you don't see the gift that you are to the person you're going to meet next. The flesh 
is not a comment about your body. It's a rebuke of a worldview using language from 2,000 years ago. Spoiler alert to modern-day Americans. People 2,000 years ago said stuff different. We can't interpret their words through our idioms. That's what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. We got to take what they said on their terms and stop colonizing their language and making what they said interpretable for now. <sighs> okay, whatever, fine. I'll just talk to myself about that stuff. Thank you. You know what's funny though? I want to know you hear me, not because I want claps, but because I need to know that you're getting the fact that we don't need to hate what we see in the mirror. That's what Satan wants, it's not what Jesus wants. That's, what I, that's why I want to know you're hearing me, because that's what we need to know. So many of us are so afraid to celebrate our own body because we think it's arrogant and rude. It is not wrong to admire God's handiwork. Okay. We're agreeing to move on. So me and Jacqueline do when we can't resolve. Let's just agree. We'll talk. We'll bring this back at another time. We're good. You're good. I'm good. We're good. Okay. Law of sin and law of the spirit. Law of sin is answers to problems. The law of the spirit is process. Law of sin is answers. Now, the law of the spirit is always process. The law of sin is fixes. I need to fix this problem in me. I need to fix this problem in my marriage. I need to fix this problem in my kids. I need to fix this financial situation that I'm in. The law of sin is answers. The law of sin is fixes. The law of the spirit is transformation. Transformation. Answers versus process. Fixes versus transformation. Because you could fix something and if you're not transformed, you'll break it again. I've tried to put stuff together. I'm just not that kind of man. Jacqueline puts things together in our house. I stand there and say, what can I hand you right now? What do you need from me? What? She's over there with a drill. Pss, 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 pss. I'm just like, what can I do? You want me to, Theo, come here. Let's, let's watch Bluey together. Like. You could fix stuff all day, but if you keep, my son likes to throw stuff off the balcony at our house. We could fix it every time he does it, but if he is not healed, transformed, it's going to break again. We want fixes in our marriage. We want it to feel better tomorrow. God wants it to become holy again. It takes time. To put a final metaphor on it before we start to close. You know, like when you're flying and they're like, we're going to begin our descent? <laughs> law of sin can be defined as a sword. And the law of the spirit can be defined as a plowshare. A sword gets something done now. But it leaves it maimed, injured, and bleeding. A plowshare takes so much time. But when it gets it right, you ready? It becomes a harvest that produces more of itself on its own. What does it say in Genesis? He made seeds that produced fruit in whom was the seed after its own kind. We want a synthetic faith. We want a faith that is fake that we can control, that we can use. You know, I was recently hearing somebody and they said, you know, uh, dads, if you, don't, if you don't overcome lust now, your kids are going to have to overcome it then. And I thought, you know what, if you don't overcome discouragement now, your kids are going to have to overcome it then. And I hear that, and you know what I hear? I hear synthetic faith. Because number one, the implication that we can overcome lust is a bit grandiose, wouldn't you say? Little ambitious, no? That we could just overcome all forms of discouragement. 
And then if somehow I manage to do the impossible and overcome all forms of lust and all forms of discouragement, Theo's guaranteed to not deal with either of those two things. There's no imagination behind it. It's synthetic. It makes us excited. It makes us clap. It's marketable, but it's not true. You know what I could do as a dad for my son? Show him where to take the struggle with those things. Show him where to bring my burden. Show him what to do when I make a mistake. Show him where the fight needs to be fought, not in the secular ring of philosophy, but in the word of God in his church and with all of you helping. Right? What we do is we don't show our kids and overcome reality so they'll never have to deal with it. We show them where to bring the struggle. We show them where to point the struggle. We show them more with our heart than we do with our mouth how to get to Jesus. You know why? And, and I'm, I'm not, we're not picking on any, but there, you know, there's, there's, there could be Sundays where the, these altars are full during the worship service. And honestly, it could be synthetic. It could just be Christians doing Christian things. But you know what else? These altars could be full because moms and dads and husbands and wives are showing the church and our kids where you bring the struggle. I needed to get here today. I did not need to get to my binge shows. I didn't need to get to my 3 a.m. doom scrolling. I needed to get here because this is where I struggle. This isn't synthetic. This is real. It takes a lot longer because God is slow. He doesn't just promise you that you'll see the best things in your life in this life. He says in eternity you'll see them. That's long. As we begin our descent, we're at 30,000. Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Rebekah making decisions instantaneously to try to fix the, resolve, the, the, the lack of resolve they're feeling in their life. They're just making decisions, trying to fix this resolve fast, naming things, selling birthrights, not using birthrights, let me die, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then we hear about Jesus saying, here's how the kingdom of God works. A sower went out to sow. This is going to take months. But at least Jesus is the sower, so I'm assuming he's a good gardener, right? No. He threw some seed on fallow ground. Why? He doesn't know. Some seed fell on rocky soil. He's not doing so well. Some seed fell, you ready, in soil that has thorns in it. Didn't cultivate it first. All right, but at least some seed fell on healthy ground, and it produced a harvest a hundredfold, right? Well, some 30, some 60, some 100. Why did I get the 100? Jesus is already gone. Where'd he go? He's a terrible, what's he just throwing seed everywhere? Why? You ever feel like some days you do your best effort and your best efforts fall on deaf ears? Anyone in the room? <laughs> Whose idea was it to have these children in the service? <laughs> Yours. Mom and dad, they're listening. There are some days where you're the one, you're sowing your best efforts into the world and the world around you just feels like it's fallow ground, like it's just getting picked up by the next thing that flies by. It's not even germinating. Sometimes you feel like you're that ground. Jesus could drop whatever revelation on my life today and it's going to be picked up by Satan 10 seconds before it hits the ground. Other times you ever have that moment where you do something and it works for, and you're excited about it, and by the time the first little bit of issue comes, it's gone. For instance, have you ever for one second said, our house is clean? By the time the words are coming out of your mouth, I know people who don't have kids at the house anymore, and they're still cleaning like crazy. Why? You ever work so hard at your job, you have a good month, the next month starts and it's like Satan just got back from vacation? 
it just goes away. And then the worst is when you're either planting your best efforts or Jesus is giving you some beautiful stuff and you're feeling motivated and it actually grows for a while and then slowly things seem to choke it out, but it seems to choke it out so slowly you didn't know it was dying until it was dead. And you might say to somebody you love, how have we grown so far apart? When did this happen? When did I lose my joy? When I first got saved, I went to this terrible job, and I went there to be salt and light. Now, I know more about Jesus than I ever have, and I hate going to work. How come when I was more immature was I more excited to get up on a Monday? Because something's choking you out, you don't even know. You don't even know. Here's the good news. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, which Jesus says is the seed that is sown, so shall my word be that it goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It will accomplish that which I've purposed. It shall succeed in the thing. Some of you need to make everybody around you think you're nuts and stare at that hard path and say, I know a plant is about to come up out of that. There's no seed there anymore. Shut up. I know something is about to come up out of that ground. I saw the birds came and took the seed away. Again, you're cool. I appreciate We're emotionally healthy. I appreciate your opinion. I value it. I'm really happy you're actually talking to me. As a matter of fact, can you stay with me long enough to realize how wrong you are? It's perfectly fine. I just want you to be here. Like some of us need to realize you think you're so impenetrable from the things of God. You have no idea what's about to burst out of you. You know why? Because his seed is an indestructible seed. His seed is the only kind of seed that changes the soil. His seed is the only kind of seed that makes the soil rich just because it hit it. Watch, this is what none of the parents in the story knew. I want you all to hear this. Abraham has Isaac and Ishmael, and they do not get along at all. Please follow this. Some of you will know where I'm going the second example I give. Abraham has Isaac and Ishmael. His kids do not get along. His, just use it as a metaphor for the promises of God. He has promises of God, and those promises are contradicting each other. They're destroying each other. And the Bible says, do your homework on me. Fact check me all you want. When Abraham died, Isaac and Ishmael were both there. In Abraham's death, the sons were restored. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. They don't get along. We just read about it. They hate each other. They run from each other. But when Isaac dies, Jacob and Esau are both there, restored in their father's death. Jacob has a trillion children. (laughs) They're selling each other into slavery. They're not getting along. They'll lie to him and say, one of your sons got eaten by an animal. But by the time Jacob dies, all of his sons are restored in the death of their father. So you have all these unresolved issues in your life. You have all these unresolved promises. You have all these things that you're tired of praying for. Guess what? In Jesus' death, they're all restored. They come together again. And not just in Jesus' death, as we slowly die to ourselves, things begin to get more resolved. When, when you said to the worship team earlier, what Jesus is saying in the Eucharist is you're holding on to things that are broken. Just let them, let them go because the cross is Jesus saying, the cross is the finality of everything you're trying to keep from breaking. The cross is Jesus finishing the breaking process. Let it go. Let it smash on the floor. My death is going to go farther down than this broken thing is going to go. Your death won't be as dead as my death. My death is going to prop yours up so yours could be life again. This is why when he raises from the dead the good shepherd, 
doesn't reveal himself as a shepherd with a flock. Mary thinks he's the what? The gardener. Because Jesus in his resurrection is saying, I'm going to go to every one of those soils and make it the good soil. What does that mean for us tomorrow? It means this. Sow, wait, and reap. Go to work and do the best you possibly can. Be the best parent you know how to be that day. Be the best spouse. Be the best friend. Work for the things of God. And when that work is falling on fallow ground, when it's getting choked out, when it's landing on shallow soil, just know this. God wants us to work with him because he's not controlling. He shares his life. He's not a do-it-all-by-myself kind of God. He, le- he lets us work in the field with him. But here's what we know. He is the author and the And finisher of our faith doesn't mean our faith is over. Finisher of our faith means our faith is finally completed and is the thing that it was meant to be. So the bookends of your life are he's going to start the field and he's going to make the field holy. Our job as we work in all these different soils is to know that he wants our best effort, but ultimately he's going to make it right. So we're not working for security, we're working from it. We're not working for love, we're working from it. We're not working for the blessings of God, we're working because of the blessings of God. That makes us free to heal. That makes us free to slowly cultivate. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Here's what I want us to do when we come to the Lord's table this morning. Paul says in Corinthians, whenever you come to the Lord's table, He says, proclaim his death until he returns. So when we come to the table, we proclaim the Lord's death. It's funny to me this morning that it doesn't say, proclaim his resurrection until he returns. It says, here's what you do. When you come to the Lord's table, proclaim his death. Here's what that means for us. Come to his table proclaiming your death. In other words, come here and before you put this bread in your hand, say out loud. Mm, Let me strike that. We all have a lot of problems. Say to yourself, name the things that are broken in you. He wants you coming to his table facing actual reality, not a synthetic worldview that we have because we say Christian things. If you're stressed, say you're stressed. If you're depressed, say it. If you're struggling with anything, when this bread hits your hand, it is the hem of his garment, his body is touching those things. He doesn't want us coming before him, faking ourselves into thinking it's just a purely like jubilant moment. This is proclaiming his death. Say the real things. Every book Jacqueline and I have ever, ever read, every therapist we've ever spoken to says healing starts. What is the first thing a doctor says when you walk in? What's wrong? It can't begin. You can't just go up in that office and sit there. If you were so bad off that no one had to ask you, you should probably be in the ER, not the doctor, right? Like if your arm fell off, don't go to the doctor. Then you know what the problem is. Everybody does. Come before the great physician and tell him what's wrong. You're not violating your Christian faith by saying what's wrong. You're not value, you're not devaluing your stance as a man or your presence as a woman by saying what's wrong. You're not throwing away 30 years of faith by saying you're struggling with even the most basic stuff. Come and tell him. He says, come and proclaim his death. Proclaim the brokenness until he returns. Why? Because when he returns, it'll be put back together again. Until then, tell the truth. That's where healing begins.
Esau should be saying, I don't know who I am because my dad only loves me because of what I can produce in the field. But what happens if I break my leg? What happens if I get sick and I can't go into the field? I won't have his love anymore. Esau needs to come and tell God that. Jacob needs to say, I don't have a thing that makes my dad love me. That's why I want to buy it from Esau. Tell him the truth because he'll heal it. I think I failed. I don't think I'm doing a great job. You've told me to do things my whole life and I still haven't listened to them. I've done everything you told me to do and it's not turning out the way that you said it would and God, honestly, I'm kind of mad at you. I don't want to be on this line right now but Pastor Bill said I have to be. That's why I'm here. Tell him that. Tell him the truth. Healing begins in the truth. It doesn't say declarations will set you free. It doesn't say positive affirmations will set you free. It says the truth will set you free. Lord Jesus, on the night when you were betrayed, you took this bread, you offered it to the Father, you gave thanks, and you promised that whenever we come to this table, we will be receiving your body and blood into our life, your life-giving healing spirit into our life. And so we pray that you would descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. We pray, Father God, that you would forgive us of our sins, strengthen us in all goodness, and keep us unto eternal life. We pray that we would name what's wrong and the process of healing would begin today. In your holy name, we pray these things. And everybody said, amen. I'm gonna ask Elder George and Elder Ron to come and take the elements and you are free to come to the Lord's table this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.